0: Welcome back to the Origination Podcast, where we speak to the top salespeople in the multifamily industry to try to understand what separates the top performers from the rest of the pack. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Andrew Dansker, founder and CEO of Dansker Capital Group. It is very tempting when you start out in origination or brokerage in the multifamily industry to want to be all things to all people. You know, if, whatever that, whatever the, if it's a class A, B, C, whatever the location that you want to be a solution provider. However, the best salespeople ultimately carve out a niche. They figure out what their unique value proposition is, and that becomes their calling card in 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 the market. In this interview, you'll hear about how Andrew figured out what his unique value proposition was and how he's used that to create a, an incredibly strong referral sor- source of business. We'll also talk about work-life balance, which as a salesperson feels like it is an impossibility, but you'll hear how Andrew has carved out time for his family you know, and the most important priorities in his life. So without further ado, Let's speak with Andrew. Andrew Dansker, welcome to the Origination Podcast. It's a thrill Thank you for having me. to have you. I appreciate it very much. So Andrew, we, we, we've talked about a, a number of different things, but I'm, I'm gonna start the way I, I, uh, I like to start these things and, 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 and have you think about early sales experience that, that comes to mind. So anything like it could be high school, uh grade school it could be college or after college you know, but when you say when, when i when i say your first earliest sales experience or memory of selling something you know, what, what anything come to, come to mind for you that's an interesting question i um you know i
1: was never selling cookies door to door never had a lemonade stand i didn't do newspapers um i don't have any good old-timey stories about how i was an eight-year-old and created a, a network in my neighborhood of lawn mowing services or anything like that. Um, you know, I think that I was pretty opposed to being in a sales role when I first became a salesperson. Um, and I had always been on the, you know, here's the track, follow the track, um, uh, kind of trajectory. And, um, I found myself at a time where I didn't really know what else to do or how to do what I wanted to do. And my first real sales job of any kind was here's the phone book of owners um, in manhattan here's your phone here's your desk
0: see what happens yeah and the 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 tracked route now i think you went to law school is that is that correct yeah i did so so how did how did you find your way from law you know you went to law school thinking that you would want to be an attorney
1: uh no actually um I went to law school thinking I didn't want to be financially independent. Um my when I was graduating college I um, I got a degree in political science um and I looked at jobs you know state department CIA etc all kinds of interesting think tank jobs um and my father said to me uh either you can go to law school and I'll cover the cost or you can graduate and I'll support you uh, emotionally in whatever you do, but you'll be on your own financially the day after graduation. Hmm. Um, That to me was a very easy um, thing to come up with there. The the decision to go to law school. Yeah.
0: Did you, you I I never really wanted to be an attorney. No, can't say that I did. Got it. So you get out of law school and you say, I know what i want to do i want to go into commercial real estate sales like what's what's the, the path there <laughs> yeah not that
1: uh straightforward a path there either i got out of law school i started to sit through the course to take the bar exam i had accepted a position uh at Fried frank um to practice law and um that was the year of the uh post recession i guess It would be called it was 2009. So what had happened in the in the law business, you get hired the year before. So I was hired into a big class at Fried Frank during good times and then bad times came and they told our whole class, um, we'll pay you half salary to go away for a year and remain available to us for next year. Um, I sat in the class and was starting to study for the bar, or I should say, was starting to be told to study for the bar. I can't say that I really did much study. Um, And I just sat there and thought, I don't want this job. And I don't even want a year off paid to come back to this job. I don't want this hanging over me. I just did, you know, three years of what I was told to do. And I don't want to sign up for another X number of years of what I'm being told to do. I want to go figure out what I want to do. Um hmm. so I was very fortunate to get connected to an owner operator um, who was in the middle or who had just commenced a really big project. He had just purchased the largest office building in the state of Connecticut and was undergoing a full rehab and retenanting. And we got along and I agreed to go work with him. Uh it wasn't really part of a plan. Uh it just kind of came together.
0: Hmm. So retent got it. And then is that the first time you get the, the, the computer and and the phone when you're. you're So so from
1: there, yeah. So I spent a couple of years with him. I did uh, rehab work with him all over the country. Um, and I had a great time and I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, and after a few years of that, I decided it was time to, um, park myself more squarely at home in New York, instead of flying around every week to different Mm -hmm. properties. Um, and I started to look for, A different development job thinking that's the track I wanted to stay on or redevelopment I guess that was, and um, I couldn't find what I wanted and, and I didn't really know how to find what I wanted I don't think I had yet the skills to go out and find what I wanted. Um, And I went to a friend and asked him for help. Um, And he was a mortgage broker, still is a mortgage broker. And he said, "Um, I'm not going to help you find any development jobs because I think you should come work for me. Um, And I thought about it and I didn't have any development jobs that I wanted. I didn't have any other good ideas. And I didn't think I wanted to do sales, but I figured, you know, sort of like the actor or actress who's waiting tables while they wait for their big break. I figured I'll make some loans while I wait for my big development deal to come along. Um, yeah. so that's what I, that's when I sat down and started making calls.
0: Yeah. And wh- which firm was that, that you started? Cooper Horowitz. Cooper and that Horowitz. Was Horowitz. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And, and that was focused on, on mortgages, not absolutely. Mortgages. That's right. Got it. So how does that, so they give you a, a, a computer and a phone and, and say, all right, have at it. What, what does that look like who are you calling how do you know what to say like what was
1: yeah you know it, it was a very um what i think of as an old-fashioned new york brokerage moment of here's your list and here's your desk and your phone and um go figure it out um i, I didn't know the answer to that question and I literally uh, had a book I think it was called Sanders, uh, it was a big blue book that shows every block and lot in New York City and who the owner is, phone number, etc. Um and I just started going down the list and and calling people and saying, "Hey, I'm a mortgage broker, do you need a mortgage?" Um which may not be the most effective sales strategy. Um but at that point, you know, I didn't know any better um and just Figured I would jump in with both feet. Um, yeah. So I did. Yeah, so and, and what
0: what year is that? 2000, that's late 2011. 2011. Okay, so you start by calling saying, all right, do you need a mortgage, right? How does that pitch land? Is that like, when do you, and, and, and when do you find, Is there a point where you you figure out like, okay, like now I know what what to say. Yeah. When someone picks up the phone.
1: Yeah, you know, it was an interesting trajectory for me because I don't think that what was happening was immediately clear to me at that time. Although in retrospect, it's very clear and really informs my business model today. But at that time, in addition to that work, which to answer your question, it was about one in a hundred calls would lead to to someone who said yes i'm interested in having a conversation Um, and then some smaller percentage that that actually went anywhere Um, but what i did simultaneously was i started going to everyone i had ever met and saying do you know anyone in the real estate business and going to events and so on and so forth Um, and i was very fortunate my father actually introduced me to shimon Shuri, who at that time had relatively recently started aerial property advisors and didn't have a capital markets division yet. And um, he said to me, uh, Yes, we need someone to help our clients with loans, and we'll give you a shot and see how that goes. Um, and, you know, really, of course, I was relying on the expertise of the shop I was working at. I wasn't the one bringing the knowledge to the table, I was really making the connection. Um, but what ended up happening was that I started to do work with uh, Ariel and um, with their clients. And that was, far more effective and efficient than calling
0: people all day who didn't want to talk to me hmm. got it so right so so you, you kind of showed you the the um the strength of a warm a warm intro a, a warm yeah, intro and and i think also the strength of a good referral a good referral yeah so the thing about referrals is that you need to align yourself with the referral source Right. And well, how do you take that strategy forward, you know, as you? Yeah. So the the
1: question you're asking basically is a question that I spent, I would say. I would say I spent about five years um, even arriving at that question. Uh, Maybe I'm not the quickest mortgage broker in the business, so it took me a few years to even figure out the question. Um, and, And then it took me some more time to figure out the answer. Um, And I think that where my business really began to come together was when I had figured out that question and then figured out a good answer, which for me was figuring out how do I align my interests with the interests of the people I'd like to have as referral sources? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And how do I understand, in my case, I think primarily sales brokers, what they need from their business and their client and how I can help them achieve that um as part of the mortgage
0: process Mm. so what did did that right that that's that's great um yeah you want to figure out how how to be a hero to their clients right how to make well how to be a hero to them yeah or maybe the best way to say is like you want you want to enable the sales broker to be a hero to their client through your absolutely right and so what's so how do you how do you do that? So what's the thing that you th- you yeah, that that yeah that you come upon that that you that you come upon as, as an idea that that was there any kind of new thing that you realized maybe or was it how you're presenting your, yourself to them had a I think yourself?
1: it's um I think that there's a multi part answer there I think that part of it for me was about really understanding what I'm selling as a mortgage broker, right? I think that there is um, uh, a group of mortgage brokers that are selling um, a process, right? You want to be able to tell your investors that you hired a high profile shop and that they ran a process uh, and that you can't, you know, you can't be held responsible for any mistakes because you hired the right people. I'm not really selling that to those, Hmm. to that kind of institutional client, right? There are other shops that do a tremendous amount of volume. I think they're selling leverage, right? We're going to get uh, a better deal than you're going to get on your own because we do so much business with such and such a institution. I'm not really big enough that I'm doing that occasionally, maybe, but generally not really. Uh, So what am I really selling? At the end of the day, I'm selling information. And what does that mean? Hmm. To me, that means um, you're uh, maybe an, new entrant to the real estate marketplace, or you're a professional in retail and you're buying your first resi, or you're very experienced in Boston and you've just arrived in New York, um, for whatever reason, uh, you need information. And that's really what I've conceived myself as brokering. Um, And um, understanding that and being able to convey that to the sales broker, I think helps them understand who to send to me and helps me um, achieve a very high level of success for them and their clients, as opposed to the frustrating experience of repeated introductions that don't go anywhere. Um, and that I think was a turning point. Um, because I definitely did a lot of work with some New York teams that were working with professional New York investors. And I had the same frustrating conversations over and over again, where they would make the introduction. I would speak to the client, And the client would say i have a direct relationship with your community signature dime at that time maybe astoria uh, investors customers um and i'd be happy to hire you if you can find me something better which you know once you've blanketed the market with direct relationships because you're a repeat player it's very hard to do and as a sales broker making that intro you can start to feel frustrated or you know unsuccessful in that intro so understanding that that was the wrong client that was the wrong target i think was critical and besides that i think uh really being able to present clearly uh, the, the value proposition to um the referral source themselves was critical right so beyond here's what i can do for your client and here who's here is who the right client is What's the benefit to you as a sales broker for doing this work with me? And in my mind, it's multiple, but I think one of the primary answers is simply that as a sales broker, your transactions are large and infrequent, and you need value add to give to your clients to maintain and deepen your relationships to prepare for those big moments, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be recurring uh, updates on your valuation of the property, it can be referrals for legal services it can be an update in the leasing market to make sure your clients maximizing their income it can be a referral to someone for tax advice and i think in this case um, you know all those clients are also financing and knowing that you can add value to their ongoing business through financing uh, and that keeps the conversation tied to you and alive um, is is a critical value add to the to that referral source in particular
0: yeah that's, that's so interesting. So the first point that you made is also, I feel like very critical, right? Because it's when you talk about referrals. So people think, oh, yeah, like, okay, introduce me to, I don't know, Blackstone, right, to get, you know, I have that sounds great. But if you're not, if Blackstone doesn't need you, yeah, right, then it's not valuable to, it doesn't set you up for success with Blackstone, but also your referrals. You're exactly right. Yeah, it feels like an idiot. I mean, I don't want to meet uh, Blackstone.
1: I mean, if they're listening and they'd like to hire me, sure, you'd love to chat. But, but, you know, as a general rule, I don't want to meet Blackstone and I don't want to meet Fornado and I don't want to meet Related and I don't, you know, I'm not selling what they're buying. Um, And so I'm not doing any good for myself, for them or the person that puts us together to have that meeting. You know, I would like to meet the person who, Um, owns three buildings and is buying a fourth one and it's vacant and their lender doesn't do vacant deals and they need to know how to get a vacant deal done. Um, I know how to do that. I know how to do it really well. I know how to do it with people who will deliver at a good price. Um, And that's what I sell is that
0: information and the ability to facilitate that transaction. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've seen a lot of times that with product like sales strategy, you know, a team will say, "All right, well, let's look at the top fifty uh, owners, right, and right. let's just figure out how to how to get get to them, right." And if you have a product that that you think is is different differentiated, right, and the service is differentiated and would be appealing to them, then then great. But okay. the other, but. Another approach is to say, "Well, let's see, let's let's look at who's already doing business with us. Like, what are who are the people that we serve best? Who like who who, who come to us and love working with us, and we provide a unique service, and identify, identify that. You know, so yeah. I think what what you did there was to help the the um, to help the sales broker know what they should be when they should be thinking of you, right? Who that right Absolutely. person is."
1: and i think it was critical
0: for my own business and the the development of
1: my team's business because i think one of the places where so many mortgage brokers in particular get stuck is like you said you're chasing the wrong thing you're chasing the biggest the most obvious the sexiest the the highest profile um target and you can tell yourself that a bigger paycheck is the same amount of work as a small paycheck and that you should therefore go after the biggest thing you can find in the market, et cetera. But, uh, you know, I just don't look at it that way. I, I look at it as, you know, really focusing in on what am I really offering and who wants that? Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And then the second point about, about thinking about being of consistent, I would say of consistent value. To your 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 clients, right? Because a lot, of, whether or not you're a sales broker or you're a mortgage broker, it's still like a kind of a periodic or episodic like you know relationship. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, how do you? Well, let's come let's come back back to, to that. I do want to come back to that. I want to just continue your that you're getting back to your your story. Right, so that sounds like a pretty good uh, niche that you found with, with, with Ariel Property Advisors. So from there, did you go from, is that, did you go to Marcus from, from, from there? Yeah, um, yeah. I, that's exactly right. I moved to
1: Marcus. I was given an opportunity that I felt I couldn't turn down, which was to partner with a team that uh, is uh, still in operation called New York Multifamily, um, mm-hmm. which was uh, at the time run by Peter Bondre. Um, Joe Kosum, uh, later Sean Riney uh, became a, a principal member of that team. Um, and I was given the opportunity to, to essentially handle their business. Um, and I think that in retrospect, it's ironic, but in retrospect, the doors that that opened up were the exact opposite of the doors that we, I thought it was opening up. Right. So I thought that was the key into the introductions to the high profile repeat, Big players in New York, who I met with, that was that were buying buildings from them, um, and then uh, discovered that I was selling a product that they didn't want to buy. Um, so it was very interesting in that you know where I thought that was taking me was not where it took me at all. Which maybe could be the theme for the career trajectory we're tracing, right? I thought I was going one way. It turned out it was a winding road, not a straight road. I was going mm-hmm. a different way the whole time. Um, but, uh, that took me to Marcus and Milichat. Um, and, and from there, uh, was really, um, where it, that strategy and that understanding that I just described to you came into focus for me in part,
0: really in contrast with what I was actually trying to do. Mm, got it. So there, so would you, so it sounds like you ran into some of the same challenges of, of, you know at the end of the day do these people actually need that service or not right the institution absolutely yeah um so all right so does that kind of contribute to that that from there you you end up starting your your own shop yeah
1: Yeah. and for for you it was a short partial sentence when you said from there but for me that was a long eight years uh of figuring out what i was doing understanding my product understanding who i was Uh, able to sell it to successfully understanding how to source uh those clients to to sell it to and understanding the value of those relationships yeah um but yes from there I started my own company
0: well well so well let's delve into the eight eight years a a, a bit so what what did you kind of get from as far as your your business strategy right you said that that it you expected one thing and the doors that it opened were were ended up being being different so what um as far as like how it your your business plan evolves over the course of that eight years, what, is, what does that look like?
1: Sure. So uh, I think to start off with, I, I started with the same business plan as everyone else, right? Uh, at that time, let's call it 2013. Um, Benchmark is buying a lot of buildings. Slate is buying a lot of buildings. There's a lot of guys out there buying buildings in New York, renovating them, cleaning them up, selling them. Um, And I aspired to do business with them. Um, That's what I thought I was doing. As I got farther along, I discovered they know the same people that I know um, in terms of lending relationships. And the people who are hiring me are the people who say, um, I've just started my fund. I've just gotten to New York. I've just switched product classes uh, or I'm selling my product in New York. I'm buying in Florida. I don't know anyone in Florida. Um, So there was definitely a long process for me of trial, I don't want to say trial and error or trial and failure, but um, trying to do something, right, which was to go after those big name repeat players um, and discovering where I was actually succeeding and what that meant and and using that feedback to define uh, who my client was and what I was actually selling. So that for me, you know, is now in hindsight encapsulated very succinctly, but was actually a multi-year process of hmm. trial failure. Why isn't it working? What is working? And that took years to come into clarity for me. Um, and, and while I was there, um, you know, I had gone in to do the work for New York multifamily, but I ended up doing work for teams, uh, across the company. Um, Mm -hmm. I did work, you know, with teams, not just other teams in New York, but also Brooklyn, New Jersey, Boston, uh, Florida offices um, and beginning to understand, you know, what the real mindset of those brokers, because I was working with them all the time and I was in the same company with them and understanding their needs and understanding how to tailor my, we'll call it quasi product offering, right? My value add proposition to their needs, um, was again, a multi-year process of, um, working with all those teams and understanding their businesses and understanding how they were understanding their businesses. Uh, so like I yeah. said, maybe I'm just not the fastest learner, but it took me about eight years.
0: Yeah. Well, I yeah, I wouldn't consider myself the fastest learner either i feel like a lot of the smartest people are not such fast learners so that's uh you know that's it's good well Um, listen i think part of the challenge right
1: is that there's no great roadmap there's no like book on how to do you know build a great successful middle market mortgage brokerage company uh mortgage brokerage business if you're inside another company right like there's no roadmap it's not like school where there's a syllabus and these are the books you read and then you get all the information and draw your own conclusions, whatever, but here's the map, you know, uh, my experience was it takes time in real life to even understand the question you're supposed to be asking, let alone what the answer is.
0: Yeah. Right. And I guess that question is really, what value am I creating and and for whom? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. At the end of those eight by the end of the eight years, if I said like let's say if you to think about what your elevator pitch was at the beginning of those eight years, and then you think about what your elevator pitch was at the end of them, right? What what would you say had had changed, like as far as your self-perception and and how you explain the value that you that you added? Um, yeah, what 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 did you realize by the end of by the end of those eight years?
1: You know, it's funny. No one's ever put that question to me in quite that way, and it's a very interesting thing to think about. And you know, it's really a one eighty. I think that my pitch at the beginning was really uh, narcissistic in a way, right? Of you should hire me because I'm smart and hardworking, and I want your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I left with a totally outward-facing pitch, which was. You should hire me because I know what you need to know and I can help you grow your business. Um, Totally 180 reversal on that pitch.
0: Yeah, I can help you grow your business and, and the you is the sales broker or the either the one end client. either the
1: sales broker or the end client right um, and listen I don't just work with sales brokers I have a lot of great attorneys that send me clients and I've mm. um, done work with accountants and so on and so forth and um, you know it, it's there are multiples uh, other professionals uh, in that group of referral sources but yes it is both the referral source and the end client to whom I feel very comfortable saying. I have a very clear recipe and great track record for helping you grow your business, and I'd like yeah. to get together with you. Uh, yeah. And that's a total one hundred and eighty from where I started, which was hire me because I want to make a living, and yeah. I, don't, I don't really know what else I'm doing.
0: Right, right. And I don't want to. I don't want to go back to a law firm. For... right. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're if you're sitting with a client. You now, right? And you're saying, and you're saying here, I know how to make you successful, right? What is it? You know, you're sitting with a client, and they're like, well, yeah, no, I, I you know, I've worked with lots of other mortgage brokers, like, yeah, I know, I know, I know the drill, right? What are you saying to, to, to explain? No, this is why Dansker is different than other groups that you've worked with.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think that. You know, one of the things I've found in our business uh, and in sales in general is that one of the hardest things to do is to turn something down, right? Mm -hmm. I think that a sales broker um, or a mortgage broker or someone in sales, at least in in my experience in the real estate business, really often struggles with saying, no, this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that what that leads to a lot of the time is people taking on things they really shouldn't take on and then struggling to get them done, and then ending up with a bad result for the client, right? Where, uh, Whereas one of the things that we do, and I think we do well, is understanding what we do and what we do well, and being really comfortable saying to people, yes, I can help you with that, and I know how to solve the question you're asking um, or the problem you're presenting, um, or no, I don't. And and I'm willing to investigate for you if that's what you want to do. Or alternatively, I'm not willing to investigate. Um, But not starting off with the answer is yes to anything you ask for. And then I'll go figure it out after you leave my office. Mm. Um, And I think that coming from that position of confidence in our ability to generate a consistent business and therefore our willingness to focus on the things that we're good at, really distinguishes us in a way that meaningfully changes the result for the client, right? Because there's a total difference. It, it, would you go to a dentist that was going to be, you know, put you out with the gas and you lay there and then he opens the dental textbook and figures out how to drill mm-hmm. your cavity. I mean, right. Like that's a terrifying prospect, sure, um, sure. which should be no less terrifying. If you tell someone, yes, I have a $20 million transaction and I have a million dollar hard deposit and you leave their office. And then they're like, Googling lenders, right? right? That's scary and should be scary, and that's the, that's the thing that happens, right? Um, uh, so I think that um, I think that's something that really distinguishes us is um, being comfortable saying I know the answer to this question,
0: uh, or I don't, um, and mm-hmm. be honest about that. Yeah, but just there's got to be more to your. I mean, imagine there's, there, there's 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 more to what you're saying also right because if they're if they're if if their alternative is kind of an upstart you know fly by night firm that's one thing if, if they're if their alternative is you know cbre or jll or i don't know, you know it, it, it's
1: well I, I i disagree with your premise a little bit because i don't think that most mortgage companies operate as a firm, which does distinguish us, right? We, in my firm, share information. Uh, Most firms operate in a silo uh, where each broker's on their own. Um, And that's very different in terms of the quality and quantity of information available to me and to my brokers in my office. But I think also the, the, um, what's the right word? The uh, symptom of insecurity, let's say, that I just um, described to you is not exclusive to a fly-by-night firm. There are plenty of people who work at big, reputable companies and are perfectly capable of placing a CMBS loan or an agency loan, etc., and really have no business trying to place a vacant apartment building in Ditmas Park. Uh, but we'll take the assignment because they don't have any other assignments this quarter and they figure how hard could it be it's an apartment building it's vacant so what i'll just look up the local banks right that happens all the time um, and has nothing to do with the quality of the firm Uh, yeah
0: Yeah. that that makes a lot of sense um i have a, a, a weird question for you yeah so you've been around a lot of Investment sales brokerage teams, right? Mark at at, at uh, your multifamily, you know, Marcus, and you, you've also been around, you know, mortgage brokerage firms. Um, do you find that there's a difference in willingness to share information between investment sales brokers and mortgage brokers? And the reason why I ask is that you know, um, I, I've seen that. In the investment sales side, there's oftentimes like just it's a very open willingness to just share information. Where I have experienced what you're talking about, where in the mortgage on the mortgage side, it does it's like siloed and protective. And but I'm wondering if you've if you've seen any difference, or if it's or or if it's if, if or 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 maybe you haven't seen that that, that differentiation. I don't know.
1: Um, that's a good question. I think that um, I think it depends. I, I, I think that sales brokers aren't exactly walking around to each other saying, "Hey, there's a hot buyer in the market. Here's his phone number um, mm. in case you have any listings or his or her mm. phone number." Um, but I do think it, it really depends on the individual and their reputation and the culture they've created, either in their company or. Um, in the community. uh, I know that I had a call last night actually uh, with a friend of mine who works at JLL and I said we're looking at a deal it's a little outside our depth Um, I'd love your feedback to see if this is an assignment we should take on if you have any suggestions for me I'm poking around to figure out can I take this assignment on with confidence right which goes back to something I described about us Um, but the point here is um, I feel very comfortable, uh, calling him and asking him that question. And when he calls me, I answer the same question. Um, yeah. and I maintain that network throughout our industry to make sure I have the best information available. Yeah. And I, I don't find the mortgage brokerage community to be any more or less protective yeah. of information than any other.
0: Yeah. But I think, look, you've, you are clearly not like that, right? I mean, that's, that's been what you, you the willingness to share information and, and um, learn, you know, from what, from what else, you know, from others and what else is happening, right? I think that, that, that has differentiated you, which is, which is, which is, which is, which is great. Um,
1: yeah, look, and it's a big yeah, world yeah. out there, right? I mean, there's plenty of money for everybody to make some other, you know, guy or woman is trying to make a living. I'm not going to, give them, it's not like if I don't tell them how to solve their problem, that their client's going to just jump into my arms and do the yeah. deal with me instead. Like, I think that's a weird fantasy of, um, a mindset that I just don't ascribe to, you know, I think yeah. there's plenty really of business for everyone. There's no reason why I can't help somebody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the big takeaways that, that I'm getting from like th- this part of our, our conversation is when it comes to re- like the re- referrals, I feel like a lot of people are just, you like working with accountants or attorneys or sales brokers, right? It's just, you think, all right, let me just, um, you think just announcing that, that, that you would like to be introduced is like, you know, that, that's enough of a reason, or you say, well, I'll pay you a referral fee. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that should be enough. Mm -hmm. But a referral fee is that that's, that's nice. But if you're going to embarrass me in front of my friend who I'm not worth it, you, it's not worth it, right? Not so, worth it at all. So you need to like really, you need to sell that person and you need to tell them, you need to make them, this referral source, a hero. Oh, and I I'm, agree with you 100%. You
1: know, I think the referral fee is the least important factor in uh, the equation for whether or not someone sends you a deal. And simply announcing that you'd like a deal distinguishes you from absolutely nobody. Um, yeah. You know, I think that where I really focus is, I'm gonna make you look good. I know what I'm doing. I'm not right. gonna take on something I can't do. I'm gonna be honest with your client. I'm gonna be respectful with your client, and also if the client comes back and is talking to me about a sale, I'm gonna tell you and not someone else, right? I don't yeah. pass people's clients around, um, yeah. and I have a reputation for, um, you know, maintaining that confidentiality, and that's very important. There's no way I could work with. 20 different teams in the same company. If I was passing their clients back and forth. Right. 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 So, you know, having the reputation for those things and and being able to understand how to add that value, I agree with
0: you far
1: exceeds the value of a couple thousand dollar check.
0: Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit. And I want you and I've talked about work life balance, um, a, a bit, and this to me is like, it's like, Work-life balance, or be a salesperson, is probably how a (laughs) lot of people think think about it, right? Yeah, that it's it's you know it's sales salespeople are are like you're on call twenty four seven. You know, the other thing is that your work is never done, right? If you're you Mm -hmm. know it could could be it could be whatever nine o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night. There's someone else who you could email or reach out to, or find another lead, right? And so, of course. you know, I know you have uh, two young young kids who are clearly, you know, you love and are very important to you. How do you handle the work life? How do you handle work life balance? I mean, because having little kids is also, I mean, it gets weighted on the other side. That's you know, it's a it's a lot of a lot of work. So so how do you how do you approach that in terms of like you know Ending a day, or carving out time for for, for them, or make, making space for your you know, your family. Uh,
1: I think that's a great question, and I and I think it's great that you're even asking the question. I think a lot of people don't think about even asking that question uh, until it's maybe a little bit too far in the rearview mirror um, mm. to make the right choices. I think that I know that this is the most important thing to me, and to me, knowing that unequivocally enables my decision-making. I've I've been very fortunate in in an incredible number of things, not the least of which is that I started my career in this business as a salesperson before I had children. And Hmm. I worked all the time. I worked at night. I went to an event, you know, three, four nights a week. Uh, Sometimes I went to a breakfast event as well. I worked, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. Uh, Besides those events, I went to the office on Sunday to get ready for the week. And I really used a lot of my downtime to rest, to be in great shape mentally and physically, to um, excel in the time that I was working. So for me, it was a real cycle of work, recover, work, recover, which you could make an argument about whether or not that was healthy, but either way, that's where I was. And that enabled me to build a business, which um, I've been very fortunate to say has achieved a level where I'm able to make some of those distinct distinctions. And and I totally recognize that um, I have the good fortune of being in a position to say that uh, I've concluded based on where I am, that the answer to how much is not more. Um, And the answer to how much for me is enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you need a B plus to get into graduate school, and you're getting straight A's, you're wasting your time, you should Mm -hmm. get a B plus and do something else. Right, And I feel the same way uh, about money, um, which is, could I work more and get more? Yes, you are right. I can stay here till 10 o'clock at night. I can email people. I can do all kinds of things after hours to add to the business during the day. I could work 24 hours a day. Um, But the goal is not more. The goal is enough. And I'm very fortunate to have enough. Um, and I draw the line and about five 30 every day, which I know sounds ludicrous in the city we live in, but at about five 30 every day, I go home and I see my kids and maybe I certainly will take a call while I'm walking home and, uh, that's fine. But by the time I walk through that door at six 15, um, you know, I turn off my phone and put it down next to my keys and I don't pick it up again until my kids are asleep. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have, you know, the reality of working and having kids is you don't have a lot of time with them during the week uh, yeah, that definitely. time is sacrosanct to me i don't care who's calling me uh you know with respect to the head of every major read and investment firm in new york city they could all call me at once at six i'm not picking up because i have enough uh for what i need and the rest is for my kids uh and my yeah. wife and and i recognize that that's a privileged
0: position to be in um,
1: that i'm able mm-hmm. to draw that line yeah, um, I draw it very, very firmly.
0: Yeah, I think what you also realize is, let's say you ha- let's say it's two hours of time, right? Let- or three hours, right? It could have been that that someone called and you were still in the office and on calls for the for the next three hours, and then you got to call them back after, after you know a- afterwards, and that would have been per- that's perfectly understandable, right? And. The fact that it's a block on your calendar, like on your work calendar, like doesn't mean that it's a higher priority, right? Than 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 the other stuff that that's important to you, you know. And and it's like the world isn't going to fall apart. You yes, you need to be available. It's a service. It's a service profession. But like, you everyone knows that that your your people are are, are busy, right? And and calling back a couple hours later and not it's okay like the world yeah bigger. it's
1: okay uh, I don't live in a world where if you don't answer my email in an hour I think you're ignoring me um, yeah, yeah. and maybe some people feel that way if I don't answer them in an hour but um you know the other thing I think that drawing boundaries right because you know the way I think about it is the week has 168 hours in it right and that's true for you and for the CEO of American Express the CEO of American Express is doing far more with uh, they're weak than you are. No offense. I, I don't know how busy you are, but I'm guessing um, they're running a pretty big company, um, but they've got the same 168 hours that you do. And even if they only need to sleep three hours a night and they don't eat and they don't shower and blah, blah, blah there's still a limit, right? So, yeah. so the limits that we place or the limits that we don't place are totally arbitrary. And yeah. even if you allow the work to run into your family life, and you treat your family time as something that you can over- override if necessary, you're still going to hit a hard limit somewhere, which is sleep and eat and shower, uh, and then which is going to max out at one sixty-eight. So I don't feel that it's in any way more or less arbitrary to draw that line at family time versus basic human needs time, uh, right. and and I don't think that it matters in a way obviously if you drew drew it at one hour a day at some point it matters but to carve off 90 minutes for for the kids is um is doable and survivable um and uh the other thing i think it does is it forces you to be more efficient um which is to say that when i you know get a new client it's a smaller transaction it's a one-off transaction um it's not someone i have a long-term relationship with i share with my team um, yeah. You know, And again, that's back to that mindset that there's plenty to go around, which yeah. I think is critical to continue to maintain. I don't mind sharing. I'm happy to see them succeed. I'm happy to see them make the fee. I don't need to reach in their pocket on every deal uh, right. or keep every deal that comes to me for myself. I'd rather share. Um, right. But that also enables me to focus on the most efficient
0: use of my time for the highest value uh, yeah. targets. Um, yeah, yeah. So. What would you say though for someone who's new, like a younger person entering into the industry? Because like you said, when you're starting out and you're all you have is that is is your computer and, and your phone, like you have to make a name for yourself. You have to get out there, right? You have to write in and, and those are do you think that that's that you still have to kind of do your time like Absolutely. At, what, at what point at what point can you can you can you start setting those limits like is it is it kind of you got to do your hard time for five years 10 years and, and then you can relax yeah. or, or at uh, the beginning even
1: yeah I'm I'm not a I'm not a dues paying guy in the sense that I feel you need to suffer um for some um what's the right way of putting it I I don't think you just need to suffer to suffer um yeah. and pay your dues I do think however there are some basic mechanics of our business which if you understand them then you understand why you have to overload your schedule to begin with uh, and then that you then have the ability to dial that back later on and i think the amount of time it takes depends on how successful you are at ramping up because basically you know what you're doing in the beginning of your career as a salesperson in many ways is you're creating a, a funnel right and if you think about what I mean by that is you're, you're basically meeting an incredibly large number of people if you're doing your job, right. And you're filtering through them for people that you like, that like you, that you connect with, that you see eye to eye with and to whom you can add value and, uh, and that you think can add value to your business. Right. And that's essentially what you're doing at the beginning. And once you have created that roster of people, which you could call your network, You can run your business without really attending to it in the same way in the sense of growing it, right, you don't need to fill the top of that funnel as aggressively, even if you add a little bit at a time once you've established the baseline of a functioning business, you can dramatically scale back that those efforts. Um, you know, so I would say there's somewhere between 50 and hundred people that I work with regularly, either as clients or referral sources, et cetera. And I know that I'm gonna, you know, from some of them, I'll see a lot of deals in a year from some, I'll see none this year, some next year, and, and that's okay. Um, but I'm not ramping up to that number every year, mm-hmm. the, they follow along year to year, um, some will drop off, some new ones come on and, and that's okay. I think in the beginning of your career you absolutely have to fill that, um, as fast as you can. Um, once you get to 99, okay. So then this year you don't do nearly as much. You only need to add one more to have a full complement. Um, that's what I think.
0: Yeah. Well, getting back to, to what you were saying at the at the beginning, right. Is you have to know what the value is that that you're providing, right? I mean, it's your, your sales calls are, are much more, um, I would say it's a much more rifle shot approach, right? Because you're, mm-hmm. you're you're gonna know within a few minutes, right? Within 10, 15 minutes, like you're gonna know if this is someone who is a good client for you. Absolutely. If you're, and if you're a good match for them if At the beginning, it's just like a scatter shot, right? You're Absolutely. just gonna you're going after everyone, and you're trying to figure out like, all right, where am I going to get in, in in, right? And that's and that's also look at the beginning. That's also people who will will just take a flyer at something that they have no experience with, you know, that that vacated industrial building with zoning issues and environmental problems. Like, oh yeah, sure, I could do that. Like, and then they try to figure it out. Maybe sometimes. sometimes if that's the only shot you have, you have to you know spend all your time trying to cut your teeth on it. Um, but it but the more you have to get to the point where you have a track record, right? You know, and track record will give you confidence. It'll make you better at selling, right? And so yeah, there's those first few years. I think your goal is to develop track record, and you. Yep. Oh, I agree with you 100. I think that track record helps you define what you're
1: selling. Helps you get the experience. Um, to sell properly right i mean i think an experienced person who's going to hire you can smell that you've never done a deal before if that's the case right and you've got yeah. to sell around that to begin um yeah. which is fine i think you can sell around that especially if you're with a strong company and you can lean on on that reputation um but i agree with you what you said 100 percent. yeah it's about yeah. reps at the beginning right you just need to get your reps in it doesn't matter what it is
0: yeah and look, and and the reality is that, you know, when you're 25, like your, your energy, you know, you can work till 11 at night, you know, and, 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 and still be back at it. You know, I mean, I'm, there were years that I, that when I was in sales, that I, was, that I was in the office every night till 11, 12 at night and back there and, and back in at eight in the morning, you know, like right. today, that would be, I don't think I could do that sustainably. Um, yeah, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's, um, yeah, you know, you wish like you wish there was something that you could tell like a newer salesperson some kind of silver bullet. Like, all right, we'll just kind of stick to this course. And I don't know. I mean, what would you say to someone who's just starting out? You know, maybe they're they're you know, if they've been in it for a few months, mm. it's kind of a you know, it's a it's it's a it's it's a haul at the beginning. You know,
1: it is. Um, I would say to you, I would boil it down for the people I hire to two things. Um, one of them is follow the business plan and Mm. don't give up. And that's it. Obviously you need to be in a place where you understand what the business plan is. And you've been given a good business plan, which functions, but assuming that to be true, it's purely about following the plan and not giving up. And everyone I see that fails sales broker, mortgage broker, either they're not doing what the successful person or company has told them to do. They've decided they've got their own strategy or they stop doing it. Um, I think it really boils down to those two things.
0: Right, right. There's a Scott Adams wrote a book, like how to fail at, at, at almost everything and still succeed, something like that. Right. Yeah. And, and, it, and his, he says in there, he says that he doesn't believe in, in goals. He believes in processes, right? So it's because if you have a goal, like guilty, you have a goal of, 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 uh, losing 20 pounds. All right. So now you lose twenty pounds, and now what? Right. Yeah, like, where do you go? From, where do you go from there? Right. And what if you don't hit that goal? Well, now you feel like a failure, and you're not going to try again. Right. But, it, but if right. It's, but if the process is all right, every day I am going to put on my gym clothes. Right. And that's the starting point. Okay. Well, you could you could you could do that once you have your gym clothes on. Like, yeah, you're probably gonna go out the door, and you know. Right. Do something yeah I agree so, with that 100
1: 100 when I talk to my team about building their business plans I always tell them the same thing I'm not I, I can't tell you the number of people I've hired who have told me they want to make a million dollars a year and like that's great and you can back that into how much you need to make every month and every week and how much you this and that but at the end of the day what you need on your business plan are action items and right. I'm going to sit down and at 901 I'm going to make 100 outbound calls and yep. then I'm going to get up and have lunch yeah. And I mean, that's it. Uh, that's a plan. Uh, that's a business plan. Um, you know, I'm going to make $10,000 a day to me is not a plan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that that comes back to like the same boundaries, right? Cause sometimes with that work-life balance, sometimes you have to make boundaries at work also, you know, there, there's because especially once you start getting deals, well, now you can just spend all day just managing your deals absolutely and you're not making the outbound calls yeah so I absolutely when i was managing a sales team we had a thing where um i think it was not eight maybe it was like nine to eleven in the morning right we were all gonna just like turn off computers not take other calls right and just hit the phones right and then after after 11 then we'd get to managing whatever the fires were of the 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 day but you've got to carve out that boundary also i guess
1: Oh, I, I agree with you. Absolutely. I think that I see it every time with new hires, they come in, they're not making any money yet. They build up their network a little bit. They get some leads, they start closing some deals. They stop originating the deals close and all of a sudden they have an empty pipeline again and their income at the beginning is very wavy. Um, and basically for me, I try to get ahead of it, although it's a challenge, I think, cause it's a skill set to manage those two things together. But I would say the, the the sales coaching I'm doing for everybody who's about a year to eighteen months in is how to overcome that wavy income and flatten it out. Yeah. Once you figure out how to get the deals, how do you get the deals while you're doing deals, and then you can start right. thinking about how do you get more and bigger and more efficient, et cetera. But uh, I that, that's a big challenge.
0: Yeah. So as we finish up, I, I want to ask. You know, maybe our last question if i asked you to fill in the blanks so that, that that most salespeople do x but really they should be doing y you know what's like a, a a mistake that you see a lot of a lot of sales guys you know making you know where you know where to you it's like so clear that that's like you're missing the mark you got to be you know this is what you should be uh what you should be doing Any, anything come, come to mind
1: you know i think um i've I, I think I do have an answer to that. I, I've built a very specific business, um, which is that, um, I personally close one to two loans a week and have for about half a decade and more than half a decade. Yeah. Six, six years. I think I've been running one to two loans wow. a week every single week, no exceptions. Wow. There are absolutely zero loans among that list that would make the cover of the real deal. Real Estate Weekly, uh, New York Real Estate Journal, not a single one. Um, To me, that doesn't bother me uh, at all. Um, I think a lot of people are into what I call whale hunting. Mm -hmm. They want the big stuff, they want the sexy stuff, they want the cover page stuff, they want the stuff to tell their friends and family about. Nobody cares about the work I'm doing. Nobody was writing an article about it. Nobody wants to hear about it at a cocktail party. You know, I finance a 10-unit apartment building in Astoria, nobody cares. And that's fine. The person who's borrowing the money cares. and uh, But my business is totally built on singles and doubles. How do I consistently produce good results for my clients and my referral sources over and over again? And I see a lot of people attracted to the biggest name, the biggest deal, the biggest paycheck. And I just, I think that's a mistake personally. I don't want one $1 million paycheck every year. You know, uh, I I don't have the intestinal fortitude to do that. I, I, you know, the idea is that you've been in this business for a long time as well, right? Every deal dies. At least three times before it closes, yeah. right? Yeah, and if that's yeah. your one paycheck for the year, you know, yeah. you want to throw up and pass out at the same time when the client yeah. calls you up and says, "I'm not signing this." Right, right. You know, right. whereas sometimes,
0: sometimes it actually, and sometimes it actually does.
1: Yeah. And also right. it does die sometimes yeah. too, which makes for a rough year. if That's your yeah. only deal. Right. You know, I want to be in the position of, I have three other deals to close this week. And if you don't want to sign it, don't sign it. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's a bank. They don't care that you don't like the font that the loan docs, yeah. you know what I mean? Or whatever right. you come up with. And like, there's a certain point at which you have to detach from that. And the yeah. ability to detach, I think is part of finding your own, um, center of gravity and being able yeah. to survive long term uh and to get out of that emotional
0: roller coaster i love it i love it so andrew how can people find you if they want to get a hold of you for for a loan or a job or what's the best way to get? To i to appreciate get that idea?
1: um for a loan or a job you can find me at adansker at danskergroup.com um that's d-a-n-s-k-e-r mm-hmm. And uh, you can email me directly. And if you need a loan, I might do it. One of my team might do it. If you want to get hired, we have someone full-time who's in charge of hiring uh, and training. We are very hands-on in that department. So we have a full-time person whose job it is just to make sure that our new recruits succeed, uh, which we have a great track record with, thankfully. Um, and I'd love to hear from anybody.
0: Awesome. All right. Andrew well, thank you so much for your time. This has been thank been you. delightful a um, pleasure. and we'll, we'll be in touch. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Take care. Bye.